Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles today and turn with me to the book of First Peter chapter 4. We'll get to our text in just a moment. I uh, just heard that our internet is out. Comcast has went out. It seems like every time it rains, we lose internet service around here. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You pay hundreds of dollars a month and they can't keep it running during the rain. Now go figure that out. Don't we live in Florida? It rains like every other minute. I think so. Kind of odd if you ask me. Anyway, <clears throat> I was thankful yesterday that our governor uh, moved to stage three and has lifted the restrictions uh, many, many of the restrictions that have been placed upon the society because of COVID. You know, an interesting thing, and you can do this yourself, a couple of weeks ago, I went back and did some research regarding the death rate between January and August over the last 10 years. You know what I discovered? I discovered the death rate is within 1% in 2020 as it was from 10, 2010 to 2019. Now, isn't that amazing? We've been told that everybody the brother is dying. That's simply not true. Is COVID real? It sure is. I've suffered uh, the loss because of that. Most of you know my sister passed away. She had pneumonia, some serious heart issues. But COVID was a factor in that as well. So I'm not denying the reality of, of the virus. But I'm saying we need to wake up and live again. Matter of fact, with that said, next Sunday, I'm going to be talking to you about living while you're alive. So you need to be here and bring someone with you. Kind of reminds me of the guy who said, during the last six months, I've washed my hands more than my entire life. Matter of fact, I've washed my hands so much, I found the answers to an eighth grade math quiz. Some of you can relate to that, amen? Yeah, absolutely. And then this Wednesday night... I'm starting a new study on the book of Philippians. I encourage you to be here. Bring somebody with you. It's going to be a great time as we open God's Word and hear what Paul has to say to the church at Philippi uh, while he was imprisoned in Rome awaiting his death. It's a powerful book, only 104 verses long, but it has great insight for you and I today. So plan to be here this coming Wednesday night. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. We'll read through verse 18. Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, though when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Father, we ask your anointing and your blessing upon the preaching of your word. We pray that hearts and lives would be touched by the power of the gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I love to read the scripture from several different versions, but I've got to be honest with you, I stay away from the paraphrases. I don't read the Living Bible because it's a paraphrase of the King James Version. But when I find a version that's an actual translation from the original languages, I want to see what it has to say. That's one of the reasons I like the message so much, because Eugene Peterson was both a Hebrew and a Greek scholar, and he translated the scriptures from the original language into today's vernacular, or a language that's a little easier, perhaps, to sometimes understand. I want to read you a couple of verses from our text from the message, verses 12 and 13. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. I read that this past week and I thought, wow, he's reading our mail. Because that's exactly what people think when life gets hard. Oh, God's forgotten me. God's abandoned me. Have you ever heard this phrase? The heavens are brass. My prayers are not ascending to the throne of God. God's no longer interested in me, in my problems, in my difficulties. God has forgotten me. Yet what does the scripture say? He says, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. He's not taking a nap. He didn't go on vacation. He has not abandoned you, but he's right there with you, walking through the trial with you. He goes on to say, instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Oh, someone needs to hear that today because you're in the thick of it. You're in the fire. You're walking through some trials. I read what Peter says, and Peter uses the words fiery trials. Those two words scare us to death as human beings because we don't like fiery trials. We don't like opposition. We don't like pressure. We don't like to have to contend with the difficulties of life. Matter of fact, there was a lie that was told for years in the church of Jesus Christ. It went something like this. Once you come to Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sins and become your savior, then life is going to be smooth sailing. You'll never have another problem. You'll never have a shortage of finances. You'll never be sick again. You'll never experience rebellion in your home and in the lives of your children. You'll have no more problems on your job because all you have to do is say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Folks, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It leads people astray. It shows them and convinces them that you should have no problem if you're a Christian. Yet the Bible says the exact opposite. So my question is, who do you choose to believe? The polished preacher on TV or what the Word of God says? Who do you choose to believe? The guy that's saying something to play on your emotions to get you to give him more money or what the Word of God says? It's a choice we make every day. The Word of God makes it clear that tough things are going to happen to good people. The Word of God makes it clear that fiery trials will be a part of our walk with Jesus Christ. Even more than that, it identifies us with Him. So many people quote the Scripture that I may know Him. 
in the power of the resurrection. How many want to know him in the power of the resurrection? Raise your hand. Oh, come on, be honest. You want to know the power of the resurrection. Do you understand what that means? It means the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. I want to know him in the power of the resurrection. But we forget the rest of that scripture. Because it goes on to say, and in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable even unto death. I know that's not popular. I know that doesn't fly with a lot of folks. But I'm here to tell you, if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer some persecution. There will be some fiery trials. There will be some difficult days. There will be times when you're saying, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? In those times, remember, Peter said, hey, don't think it a strange thing. It's going to happen to all of us who follow Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a great way to build a church, isn't it? That's a great way to draw people in, isn't it? And there are times when trouble gets so big around us. Can I just step aside and tell you this? Every single day in this role as your pastor, I have to live by faith. I have to trust God more than I've ever trusted God before. I have to believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that he can ask or even think. I have to believe that he supplies our every need. Because I look around and I see the numbers and I know the people that are here and I understand the finances we have and I know that if God doesn't come through, we're going under. It's just that simple, folks. So I live by faith. I walk by faith. And I understand when pressure comes against us, it's simply the enemy attempting to get us to give in, throw in the towel, and go a different direction. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Just because you're in the soup doesn't mean God's forgotten you. But rather, it means that God is using the soup to bring out his glory, his honor, his purification, his power, his will flow in and through your life today so stop running when the water gets hot stop running when things get difficult because that's our response well I must be out of the will of God no you may be in the will of God you may be right exactly where God wants you to be it's important that we understand this concept of children of God that where the will of God takes us the grace of God will always keep us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, 13, Paul wrote it this way. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What does that mean? It means that when you're following Jesus, you're going to walk through some hot water. But in the hot water, he's going to be there to see you through. He's not going to let you be burned. He's not going to let it overcome you. But rather, he'll use it to purify you. Here's a thought. Maybe he uses the tough times in life to get rid of some stuff that we're hanging on to. Maybe he uses the difficulties of life to cause us to be introspective. And say, God, see in me what needs to be removed and then give me the courage to give it to you and to walk away from it. In other words, it's not something when you walk through hard trials that's happening only to you, but rather Peter says it's happening to every believer. 
uses the word beloved in the King James. You know what that means? It means saved folks. It means folks that know Jesus Christ. He said, don't think it's strange when fiery trials try you. Don't think it unusual. Don't think that it's something that's otherworldly. Don't think it's strange, but realize the trying of your faith, James says, works patience and let patience have her perfect work. Even Jesus talked about it in John chapter 16, verse 33, where he said these words, trouble, oh, you're going to have trouble. Be of good cheer, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Jesus had trouble. If he had trouble, we're going to have trouble as well. But here's the key. It's not a matter of if as believers we're going to walk through difficulties. What matters is how we react to the difficulties. What's our attitude? Will attitude be one of the kingdom or will attitude be one of carnality in the flesh? Will our attitude be, God, do what you want to do in me and through me. Let me learn what you're teaching me. Or will our attitude be, this is not fair. This is not right. Do we revert to acting like we're three years old and throw our temper tantrum? Many do. Oh, you should be in my office sometimes. It gets real interesting. This isn't right. This isn't fair. It's life. Life isn't fair. Life can be difficult at times, but we have to determine our attitude. And our attitude says, no matter what's coming against me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My attitude says, I am more than an overcomer through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. My attitude says, the devil is under my feet, and that's where he's going to stay. It's your attitude that determines how you move through difficulties. And if you'll immerse yourself in the Word of God, you'll find what comes out of you during those times is not, woe is me, but rather it's, my God is going to see me through. My God is faithful. He never fails. My God is able. There's nothing He is not able to do. When I looked at the songs that Tom chose this morning, by the way, great job. Every one of them aligned with the fact that God is able. Yes, you're going to go through tough times. Yes, there will be fiery trials. But the good news is, God will see you through. Matter of fact, somebody needs to hear this and let it sink in just a little bit. When the devil knocks you down, you need to get up, you need to smile, and you need to say, you hit like a girl. Come on! It's time to have an attitude that comes against the forces of darkness and the problems of life and says, God will see me through. What did Peter say? Look at our text one more time. Verse 13. He said, verse 12, don't think it's strange when fiery trials come against you. But this is what you do. Rejoice. 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 Oh, I love that command. It isn't a suggestion, it is a command. Rejoice. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. Instead, be glad that you're identifying with Him. Let me say it another way. 
When fiery trials come against the child of God, you need to be thankful that there's enough God in you that it irritates the spirits of darkness and they're coming against you. Oh, somebody, when fiery trials come, you need to stand up and say, oh, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to give God praise. I'm going to worship Him because it shows I'm identifying myself with the living Christ and what He went through. I'm going to go through as well. Rejoice! Rejoice. That word, that prefix before joice is re, R-E. That means do it again. So let me put it this way. You need to do what you were doing when the seas were calm and the skies were blue and there was money in the bank and everybody was getting along and your employer loved you. When everything was just hunky-dory, you need to do what you were doing then. What were you doing? Oh God, I'm so thankful you're so good to me. Your goodness is renewed every day. You load me up with benefits every morning. You begin to rejoice in Him because things were good. Well, I'm here to tell you when things are not good, you need to go back and rejoice again. Do what you did then. Give Him honor. Give Him praise. Give Him glory when you receive bad news and a bad diagnosis. Rejoice. When you're out of money and have more bills to pay, rejoice. When your spouse is acting like an idiot, rejoice. When your kids are in rebellion, rejoice. When your boss is being an absolute... Sorry, I almost went okie on you there. Imbecile, rejoice. Rejoice. Can somebody hear what I'm saying? When times are bad, do what you do when times are good, and that's rejoice. Give him honor, give him glory, give him praise. Don't let the devil have his way in you and steal your joy. Peter's saying you need to go back and do it again. Rejoice. But listen, here's the key. It's impossible to rejoice if you don't first have joy. It's impossible. You can't do it. It will never happen if you don't first have joy. What the scriptures say, the joy of the Lord is what? Well, yeah, it's my strength. So that in times of trouble, I can rejoice and I can drink from the wells of salvation which bring joy into my heart and I can stand firm and declare, God saw me through it before. He's going to see me through it again and I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. You see, joy is not something, I want you to understand this. Joy is not something we are. Joy is not something we do or we try to do. Joy is not putting a smile on and coming to church and saying, everything's all okay. Joy isn't saying, oh, God is good. God is good all the time. Joy isn't something we do. Joy comes from whose we are. From whom we belong to. From whom puts a song in our heart. Joy is a state of being that's not influenced or affected by anything going on around us. It's deep within us. It fills our spirit. It fills our soul. It consumes our mind. It allows us in tough times to go back one more time and rejoice. Rejoice. Joy is a state of being. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Where is his joy at? In his presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. If you're running low on joy, you know what you need to do? Get back in the presence of God. Come on, you need to remember who you are, whose you belong to. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that tell me? It tells me there's a triplet right there. That triplet is joy, peace, and hope. You see, when I have hope, I have peace. When I have peace, I have joy. When I have joy, I have hope. Do you understand what I'm saying? They all three work together so that when we're in the midst of the fire, we can stand up and say, the God of all hope has filled me with joy and peace, and I'm going to make it through this mess. Galatians 5, and 23, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He's saying that if you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're walking with God and the Holy Spirit is leading, guiding, and directing you, then there should be some evidence. There should be some signs that He's in you. These are the evidences. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I read those lists of those nine fruits of the Spirit, and i got to be honest with you, there's some of them I still need some work on. I need some work on patience. Sometimes I need some work on gentleness. But I've got to tell you, when I focus on the King, my cup overflows with joy, and I can live in peace, and I can walk in love, and I can declare my God is yet able. Romans 14, 17, Paul gave us insight and definition. Of exactly what the kingdom of God is. He said the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God is not physical is what he's saying. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You see friend you need to understand when fiery trials come against you. You better have the kingdom living in you. You have been walking in light of the kingdom and the promise of the kingdom because the kingdom says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We need to understand God is able to see us through. God is able because we are His. We belong to Him. Joy is a birthright. Let me say that one more time. Joy is a birthright. It comes because we've been birthed through the blood of Jesus Christ into the kingdom of God. So get rid of your old sad sack face, put a smile on, and declare the joy of the Lord is my strength. Declare I'm living in the kingdom of God. I'm filled with righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Oh, declare my fruit is love, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Somebody needs to get this in their spirit. Quit feeling sorry for yourself and start allowing God to do something mighty and powerful in your heart and in your life. Peter says when you're going through fiery trials, rejoice. Rejoice. See, because trials are never meant to break us. 
Trials are always meant to make us, to refine us, to purify us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. Pressure from the outside is never meant to crush us, but rather it's meant to turn us toward the King, the source and the answer for all of our problems, and to allow Him to let His power flow through our lives and bring us through to victory. Write this down and remember it. Fiery trials are not meant to destroy us. Read it. It's true. Fiery trials are not meant to destroy us, but to develop us. So that when you come through, you will come through as pure gold. All the dross, all of the things that are not gold burn from our lives. You say, well, this is all good stuff, but I don't know the scripture backs up what you're saying. Maybe you need to read it again. Noah was tested by a flood. Noah had to build an ark when he never even seen rain. And you think your life is tough. Some Jewish scholars even think that Noah planted the trees that he then later cut down and carved into planks for that boat that preserved humanity. Talk about a trial, that's a fiery trial. Moses was tested by the Red Sea and two million rebellious Hebrews and the Egyptian army on his tail. Yet he stretched out his rod and God opened a way where there was no way. Joshua was tested by the walls of Jericho, never been conquered as a city. And the plan that God gave him, can I be honest with you? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. How can walking around walls six times, one time a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, and then shouting on the last of that seventh times, how can that cause those walls to fall? That's ridiculous. No, it's not. That's God. See, here's the problem. When we're in fiery trials, we put God in our box. We define Him by our experience. We say, you have to do it this way because I've seen you do it this way before. Oh, would you get out of the box, let God do what God wants you to do, and simply follow Him through the water, through the fire, through the flood, and watch what He will do in your life. Rejoice! Just as a whetstone sharpens a blade... Trials sharpen our faith in God. Just as a plow helps prepare the soil for planting the seed, trials prepare us for what God wants to put in us. I grew up on a farm in western Oklahoma. You all know that. That's not news. I've told this story to very, very few people. But a few. My dad, his entire life, wanted to be a farmer. He grew up on a farm five miles from where I grew up. His dad, my grandpa, was a pretty decent farmer. He made a living farming that Oklahoma soil. So when my dad got out of high school, he wanted to find a job where he could save enough money so he could come back to Oklahoma and buy a farm. I really think he should have sought counseling at that time, but that's another story. He went to begin to work building grain elevators all across the Midwest and the Southwest. Saving his money. Finally moved to Wichita, went to work at Boeing, the aircraft manufacturer, in the 50s. Saved every penny he made. Finally had enough money to buy 160 acres in western Oklahoma. So he went and he bought that first farm. Moved the family there. 
Growing up, we lived in a four-room shack. It was literally a shack. Less than 600 square feet, and there were seven of us. Don't tell me about your problems. I've lived them. And Dad had to work outside the farm in order to make enough money to feed us. And even though his greatest desire was to be a farmer, he was a horrible farmer. He just wasn't a good farmer at all. That soil, there's things you have to do in order to grow a crop. You have to plow deep every year. You have to turn that soil over every year. Otherwise, your field is consumed by weeds. The wind blows all the time. It blows in all kinds of stuff you don't want growing in your wheat field. But dad would never plow deep. Why? Because it costs too much money to buy the fuel for the tractor to do that mow boarding. And you have to fertilize that land because it is poor soil. But dad would never fertilize because it costs too much money to fertilize that soil. And then you have to have water. You have to have water consistently to grow a good crop. But he would never buy an irrigation well or invest in one because it costs too much money. My whole life I saw my dad make decisions about farming that made no sense to a farmer. Because it was all about what he didn't have. Listen to me very carefully. There are times in your life when you have a desire you'll never see fulfilled because all you're looking at is what you don't have rather than what God has already given you. He had 160 acres when he started. When he died, he had 500 acres. He bought a farm right across the road from us in 1984. I was already gone from home by then. Floyd Baldwin had owned it for years. Floyd died, his family sold it. Probably the best wheat farm in that entire part of Major County. Floyd grew 35 to 40 bushel acre wheat every single year. And I'm thinking to myself when dad bought it, this is going to be interesting. Because dad's not a farmer. He's not a good farmer. And he was telling me how that field had already always produced and that farm was so good and he was so excited about it. But you know what he did? He went in there with the disc in September, turned the soil over, put the seed in the ground. He didn't mow board. He didn't fertilize. He just put the seed in the ground. You know what he got? He got a 15 bushel an acre crop. What was the difference between Floyd and my dad? The difference is Floyd understood. You got to plow deep. You got to turn it over. You got to do the right thing. Oh, somebody hear me this morning. It's time to walk through the fiery trial. Plow deep. Turn that stuff over in your life so that God can bring a great crop out of you. Well, that's good preaching whether you know it or not. Just as a surgeon's knife cuts away diseased flesh. Trials remove from us things that dishonor God. Just like boiling water brings out the flavor of tea, trials bring out the beauty of God in us. You know one thing that really irritated me about this whole pandemic stuff? I love unsweet iced tea. I'd go to a restaurant and order unsweet tea, one sip, that's instant. I'm not drinking that. Tastes terrible. You may as well drink battery acid, to be honest with you. It's bad stuff. I am so looking forward to restaurants getting away from that instant tea and brewing that stuff again through tea bags and hot water and bringing out the real flavor. So when I take a glass of that unsweet, I know y'all think I'm a heathen because I drink unsweet tea. I get it. You think sweet tea is the God vector of the gods. Maybe I'm not going to argue that with you. It's probably Dr. Pepper. But anyway, 
I like unsweet tea and some lemon in it. I'm looking forward to that flavor. When I go to a restaurant, say, bring me an unsweet tea. And I can take a sip. It's not instant anymore. But that tea has been boiled. It has been brewed. It's been through the fire. It's been through the water. It's been through the heat. And the result is absolutely amazing. Would somebody understand what I'm saying to you this morning? Stop resisting fiery trials. But rejoice. Rejoice. Because God's doing something in you that will never be accomplished otherwise. In this life, we all have to suffer through trials and tribulations. But we also have to remember to rejoice. To go back and do again what we were doing before the trial came upon our lives. Why? Because Jesus Christ did it for us. He walked through it for you and me. The reason we can rejoice is because He has us. He's the source of our joy. He's our shelter. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our supply. He's our shield. The horn and the buckler of our salvation. He is the Almighty God. Alpha and Omega. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. He has you. And you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Forty-two generations passed. And finally, Jesus, the Son of God, stepped down from eternity, entered the womb of a virgin named Mary, was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, baptized in the Jordan, tempted in the wilderness, led to Calvary, nailed to a cross, buried in a borrowed tomb. Oh, folks, but aren't you glad that's not where the story ends? We have reason to rejoice because on the third day, He didn't stay in the grave, but that stone rolled away and He arose triumphant. He arose a victor. He arose with power. He arose with strength. He arose defeat hell, death, and the grave. And that's why we rejoice. That's why we rejoice. When Jesus died, the Bible says the skies were darkened. The sun blew a fuse the day He died. When Jesus died, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. The earth shook and reeled like a drunken man. When Jesus died, it says that the dead started coming out of graves, walking up and down the streets of Jerusalem. When Jesus died, interestingly enough, God said to a Roman soldier at the foot of the cross, you're going to preach the eulogy. And his title was, surely this man is the Son of God. When Jesus died, he got up with all power in his hands. He overcame the most severe trial known to man, and that was death. And that's why I can say today, when you fall into fiery trials, rejoice. Because you're being identified with the one who has already conquered all things. And if he rose again from the dead, then I'm here to tell you, your problem, your issue, your trial, don't amount to a hill of beans. Oh, come on, somebody. Put it in perspective. Stand to your feet this morning and somebody begin to rejoice. Begin to rejoice. Begin to rejoice. Begin to rejoice. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing 
that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work so that you may be perfect and entire, completely outfitted for the kingdom of God. Oh, Tom, that song says that you sang it early. Sing it again. Sing it out, the goodness of God. If you're in this room this morning, you're walking through some fiery trials. As Tom begins to sing, I invite you to come. We're going to pray with you. We're going to pray for you. I'm not praying for deliverance. I'm praying for strength. I'm praying for joy. I'm praying that what God wants to do is done in your life through your fiery trial. As he sings it out, you respond and you come right now. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.